0: Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and welcome to another in our special editions of Radio Brews News, recorded live at the recent BrewCon 19. Thanks to Bintani, we were able to take Radio Brews News to BrewCon and capture a little of what was on offer to those who were lucky enough to get to Australian Craft Brewery's annual conference and trade show. In this episode, we chat with accountant Maria Perman, whose BrewCon presentation was on the proper costing for beer. Maria is a CPA with a professional understanding of running breweries. She teaches finance and accounting for the craft brewer and her book, Small Brewery Finance, Accounting Principles and Planning for the Craft Brewer, is about to be published on 4 October. And I can see on the Brewers Publication site right now that if you're a US Brewers Association member and you're quick, you can save 30% on pre-orders before 23 September Anyway, I chat with Maria about the lessons small brewers need to learn about finance in their brewery and how much beer actually costs to produce. And this is Maria Perman. <music> Maria Perman, welcome to BrewCon. Thank you. Now, straight away, we can tell from your accent, you're not a local. Right. Um, you're not one of our local uh, speakers. You've uh, come over especially for BrewCon. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon. And Birvana. I, Birvana, yep. And uh, I've been there for 15 years. I grew up on the East Coast of the U.S. and um, moved to Portland 15 years ago. And um, I am a CPA, so a certified public accountant, and I specialize in alcohol beverage. And a majority of my work in that industry is craft beer. And uh, so currently I work at a CPA firm. I, I actually own my own business um, and I did this for about seven years. And then as of July 1, I sold that to another public accounting firm and uh, went in with them. And now I'm the, the principal that heads the beer division for that company.
0: But interestingly enough, uh, before we went on, Mike, uh, you were saying that you had a background. Uh, accounting is your second career. You had a background in in, in radio. Yeah. Um, how, how did you go from radio to accounting firstly and then from accounting to uh, accounting for alcohol?
1: Well, it actually starts a little bit before the radio experience. Um, my undergrad in college was arts management, and that's the business side of the arts, and I got most of the way through that degree, realized that it was really designed for positions that were going to be funded by grants, and and so that meant that I would be in a position where I would have to you know, basically be interviewing for my job every every grant cycle that didn't seem appealing. Uh, I had always loved music. And at one time I wanted to be an engineer, um, for, you know, albums and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, it ended up turning into an internship in, in radio, uh, and that turned into a job in radio. And then I kind of, uh, walked in, in different, um, different aspects of the music industry. I worked in a venue. I worked for a radio station. I uh, worked for a record label, a set of music stores. So I, I sort of did it all in that realm. And over that period of time, I moved to Portland realized that radio was kind of a dead-end career. It had been a great place to spend my 20s, but it wasn't going to be my forever home. So I needed to make some money, and uh, I made a list of of what I loved to do because I had heard, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. So I made a list, and the list was very long of what I was interested in. And at the same time, I was the nerd who enjoyed making hand-drawn charts and graphs of how I spent my money, like my bank statement would come in the mail. And I would literally get a uh, pen and paper and make these hand-drawn charts and graphs. And so I was married at the time, and my husband said, I think you should think about accounting. And I thought, you think? no. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that's so nerdy. No. Uh, but then, um, you know, I I kind of gave it a shot. And uh, so I went back to school. I found a company that would actually uh, provide tuition assistance. So I went back to school. Um Got my accounting degree. Actually, really, it really resonated with me. I've always loved business, and what I realized is that accounting was the natural gateway to business for me. So it's it's not about, and for me, it's not about the numbers. It's about business.
0: See straight away when when you said that you were in an arts management program, mm-hmm. um, when you're looking at that, craft brewing is the arts of brewing. Yes. But then you were doing, learning the management of that. So it, it, it's almost you found an, a natural home that didn't really belong where you started.
1: Yeah. And and so that's where I was going with that. And I said, you know, it started before radio because, um, okay, so let me kind of fast forward through this. Uh, so went back to school, got a job as a public accountant. I did taxes. Uh, I'm in Portland. So naturally, some of our clients were breweries. And what I found in that is that the breweries were spending more money getting their books cleaned than they were on on a tax return which told me that they were going the whole year without any good visibility into their business performance so how could they possibly make informed decisions and i saw a hole in the market for contract controller services so i uh uh, you know, I was kind of tired of the the long hours of taxes. I went out on my own. I offered contract controller services to breweries. The idea grew. So, what's a
0: controller service? Uh,
1: financial controllership. So it's it's basically like managing the accounting department. Yep. Okay. Um. So, uh, did that? It grew. I started to offer different things like tax returns and bookkeeping and payroll, and um, and then I did that for seven years, and our firm was always hovered around the. 12 employee mark Um, and then in July of this year I sold that back to the company where I started my career and now I no longer have to worry about running payroll for my people happy day (laughs) and (laughs) and um, so anyway uh, now I get to do what I love but the thing is that yes brewers are artists and so now that experience in arts management has totally come full circle in this wonderful way, and I thought that um, I thought that none of that experience was going to be transferable, but 20 years later, it's completely relevant. So it's it's really uh, it astounds me every time I think about it.
0: Only you're not competing for grants, and brewers don't compete for grants whilst they market themselves. It's a very different form of. Uh grant based. Every beer is a grant. <laughs> that's right.
1: Yeah. it's a great way to think about it.
0: Now, Actually, the other thing that just resonated from what you said is you built your own little business and now you no longer have to worry about payroll. Any small business that's providing a service to the craft brewing industry in a lot of ways can empathize with the struggles that craft brewers are going through. They don't have to make beer or anything like that, but if you're a small business, you tend to be your own marketing person, your own payroll person, your own uh, you know, um, accountant. Um, you've got to do the work that you set up to do. And you, you understand the growth challenges that come from putting on new staff when you're not quite at that stage yet. It, it, is that something that you found as well when you were growing your own business?
1: Absolutely. And I think that the experience of being a business owner did uh, help me – help me empathize and, uh, bring really relevant, uh, consultation to my clients. Um, I think one of the things that gets in the way of the business owner accountant relationship oftentimes is that, uh, the accountants don't want to get down in the weeds with the client. They don't want to roll up their sleeves and fix problems and and really understand the environment in which the, the customer works. And, I think that that is something that made my approach different and appealing to clients is that I was willing to get in there and understand their problems and understand their operational uh, environment. Um, And I guess the reason why I felt it was important is because I was also a small business owner and I knew uh, how hard it was to do your own thing. And so to have a partner that really understands your environment is, is kind of a game changer.
0: It, it, it's interesting because I, that, that was very much from my own experience because uh, Brews News sprung out of a very early beer blog uh, 15 years ago and it, it, it was just something I loved doing and it's constantly grown a little bit. Um into it's become a job, and it's become something that, that we're down here and but because it came grew out of a hobby, it's just like growing tomatoes or whatever and you know if if you cost the tomatoes that you grow in your garden, you think, Jesus, it's just not worth uh, growing it but it it was a little bit different, but I never went to the stage of thinking, well, here are my costs. We put out four hundred articles a year um based on that, so the the cost of every one of those articles is the cost of this business, divided by 400. Um, And that's – I'm a very slow learner, Maria, so please be gentle. Um, But it it, it was a long realisation for me that everything that I put out, whether it's a podcast or anything, has a cost. And that was why it resonated a little bit um, when I was looking through the program that your presentation was proper costing for beer. Um, And it's probably something that a lot of brewers don't think of. What does a beer cost to make?
1: Absolutely, they do uh, come at well for the most part. Uh, a lot of producers come at it from that um, love of the love of the craft, and you know it's seen as this is something I love to do. This is something I'm good at. I'm going to make a business out of it. And I, I'd say, by and large, most people start to run their business off of the bank balance. You know what's in my checkbook, and it's a very
0: sorry. That's a bad thing. You, 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 <laughs> see, you, you say that as if I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's there's definitely a difference. Um, I guess what I mean is that there's a difference in looking at the bottom line of your business versus the economic reality of your business. And it's shifting your mindset to think about the economics of it, which sometimes can be difficult to do because it's not as tangible as cash in the bank. And when cash is in the bank, you you can really understand whether you're winning or losing, so to speak.
0: I'm rich. I'm poor. I'm rich. <laughs> I'm poor.
1: <laughs> right. And that's, that, I mean, there's so many just factors of time that are at play there that, that kind of cloud reality. But if you can shift your thinking to think about the economic reality of uh, how much you're making with your output of beer, it can transform your business and the way that you manage that business. So there there are things that folks should think about uh, in terms of what goes into the cost. Um, first, uh, there, there are a couple points that I want to hit on, but, but one of the primary points is how do you think about excise tax? So in Australia, excise tax is a huge component of the cost of of what you sell. Um, but the way that you should think about that from an accounting perspective, you have your revenue, which is what you sell it for. And then you have the excise tax, which should be recorded as a contra revenue. Uh, and so you take your revenues minus your excise tax leaves your net revenues. And net revenues really is the starting point for measuring uh, revenue, if you will. And then cost of goods comes after net revenue to arrive at gross
0: margin. Uh, a is looking at The excise as being part of their their, their revenue when it it just should be taken out straight away.
1: Yeah, yeah. It kind of comes off the top before you even start the conversation, if you will.
0: That's interesting because there have been a relatively small number of breweries that have folded. But when I've looked at their balance sheets, it's always the ATO is the biggest um What is creditor, it to you? The Australian tax office, sorry, okay. w- w- which is where the excise gets paid. Um, it, it goes into, uh, in, and it's quite often unpaid excise is mm. one of the biggest uh, costs um, or one of the biggest uh, creditors um, when, when businesses fold.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, if you take it off the top before you start to measure your performance you get a kind of a cleaner look because that that tax should be paid straight away uh no questions asked and you you kind of have to take it off the table before you even think about how your revenue is performing and then there's other things that go into cost of goods that um you know if you're if you're just starting out and maybe you're an enthusiast brewer and you start a company you might think cost of goods is just the cost of your malt and your hops and your yeast and And that's kind of it. But that's not it. I mean, you really do need to think about the labor that goes into it, the overhead. So if you have a production facility, you know, you need to put the rent that's associated with the square footage of the production facility, that should be considered part of it. So... How to get those expenses into your cost of goods from a, a mechanical perspective when you're actually doing the bookkeeping, that's a little bit of an accounting 102 topic as opposed to a 101 topic. And with a lot of small brewers, it goes by the wayside because oftentimes these are companies that are, the, the founder is doing everything. Or maybe it's very limited staff and the staff is, is wearing, you know, 10 hats per person and they could put their time and attention to this one thing, but there's also a hundred other things on their list, so it goes by the wayside and and I understand that and I, I I get why we end up in a situation where you look at a company's financial reports and and they're they're kind of garbage, but that's no excuse because the market is becoming much more competitive and you don't have the luxury of ignoring this anymore if you want to stay afloat and competitive.
0: But I I guess it is important not just to look at the the, the cost, you know, you look at your literage of beer and the cost of the barley, the water, the the, the yeast, the hops that go into that, but it is conceivably the same staff cost for 200,000 litres, um, over 300,000 litres, or I don't don't know what that is in barrels uh, to make it easy (laughs) for you, but... um, a 30% increase in production doesn't necessarily require any other costs but that would greatly affect your profitability I'd imagine
1: yes it would um and and I, I think that I'm construing from what you're saying, why is it important to break out the costs that's associated with the production labor, right?
0: Exactly. Yes. And so, and, and and your lease and all of those things.
1: Yeah. and And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, where there's a difference between looking at the cash outlay versus the economics of it. So... The importance is that if you factor some of that labor into production, it helps you see what it takes to produce the beer that you're actually selling. And um, it helps you understand how much of your labor is being divvied up into different categories. So if you have, you know, one body who's doing production and sales and marketing and uh, running the tap room, for example, if you can start to divvy that up, you really should have a constant that you're holding your COGS at uh, every month. So, you know, if your COGS are 60% of net revenue, you want that margin to, or that that metric to hold steady regardless of what the production volume is. Um, so, if you can carve out the labor into its appropriate bucket, it helps manage the rest of the process, and you can see maybe where your sales and marketing staff staff labor is outsized for what you're doing in that. Um, And it just gives you, it fine tunes the information so you can make better decisions. If I am going to hire, do I need to hire someone who's going to go into production? Do I need to hire someone who's going to go into sales and marketing or operations? And uh, just gives you better visibility into it
0: but doesn't don't a lot of like, everyone needs more staff we need more marketing staff we need more sales staff we need more brewers we need we've got a bit of extra money now what's our biggest priority is 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 that also a bad way for for brewers to look at it should they be a little bit more clinical looking at the numbers not the need
1: yes in a perfect world uh i think that um you know, sometimes best practices go out the window because the the need is just great enough that you have to act. You you don't have the luxury of time to be as analytical about your decision as you would like to be. And I, I get that; that's reality. But uh, as much as possible, if you can start to implement these best practices early and often, then it may you you already have your system in place so that when that pinch point comes, it's not a surprise because you're seeing it through the numbers. And you know, if you're if your numbers are accurate and you're reviewing them on a consistent basis, which is another important part of the process, is is consistent review. But you know, things don't happen out of nowhere. So if you've got systems in place to properly uh, gauge uh, and measure, then you'll see it happening month over month or week over week. And um you can make a better decision, and and so you're not in a position where you have to act reactively. You're better prepared to be proactive in your management of the of the business.
0: So, looking at the the the, the financials I, again, Bruce News grew out of a uh, it was literally some guy in his underpants sitting around. That there's an image you didn't need, <laughs> but uh, and it was operated out of a an Excel spreadsheet. Here is what I'm invoicing. Here's what it's costing me. Um, So I knew what the end figure was, but I didn't know anything deeper than that. Um, And even just moving to something like zero, where I can sort of start breaking things down Mm -hmm. a little bit more, does help. How important is becoming a little bit more sophisticated in your approach to record keeping and data capture to really driving your business financially.
1: I think it's really important. Um, So there are a couple points there. In terms of breweries, and this wouldn't necessarily equate to a podcast uh, business, but in terms of breweries in general, and this is, I I acknowledge that this is kind of a a gross, um, broad-based broad stroke statement but there's generally going to be some ceiling of what your revenues will be and when you reach that point so if you think about the life cycle of a company you're you're fairly close to maturity at that point you know your revenues start to level out and then the only way that you're going to be able to continue to increase the bottom line is by managing those operating expenses and if you don't properly have things costed out you know, in, in your situation where you're looking at, you know, an Excel of money in and money out, there's not enough detail in there to make good decisions. I'll give you another example of why this is important. Um, I really think it's important to measure your margin by brand. So for every beer that you make, like IPA1, IPA2, lager, stout, etc., understanding the margins of those beers, because eventually if you're successful at what you do, you'll reach the point where your uh, capacity is maxed, and that becomes your, your pinch point. And so your options are, well, I'm either going to have to build a new facility or I'm just going to have to be capped out at my sales. But that's actually not the only option. Your third option is, how can I tweak my processes to maximize my income at this level of production capacity? So if you know how much you're making on IPA1, IPA2, lager and stout and you can see which one has more margin in it, then maybe you shift your production and you, you start to produce less of the IPA that's most expensive and more of the product that is least expensive, so you can maximize the return. Now, this always has to be balanced with how that's going to affect your sales, but if you assume that all of the brands are going to be selling through at an equally popular rate, then that kind of data helps you make important decisions.
0: You're you're from the the US, Portland, as we discussed, very different uh, regulatory, um, you know, there's a whole lot of different tax, uh, you know, um, environments that that you're working over there. But are the financial basics that breweries operate under the, the same regardless of country?
1: Yeah yeah they are um definitely i mean I think the biggest change for us is that we 're in a three tier system which affects the the uh, avenues to market um, but the uh, the uh, the economics of your product are are similar
0: so because you you do have a book um, mm-hmm. it, small brewery finance accounting principles, and planning for the craft brewer um, Is that available on amazon?
1: Yep. It's on Amazon. Um it's available for pre-order right now and then sales of the book uh begin October uh, so 7th. It's
0: to be published by Brewers Associate by the US Brewers Association is full. Yeah. Uh, so that's our that's about now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's coming so in
1: October 7th. October yeah, 7th. There we yeah. go. Okay.
0: So, yeah. um, and
1: it's available on Amazon. It's available on um, on the BA website and then also at other um, specialty reta- retailers. But you might be surprised to find out there are really not that many bookstores that uh, are going to have brewery accounting books <laughs> on order.
0: <laughs> but well, the, the reason I ask is uh, I did not actually realize when we started this uh, chat um, that you did have a book coming out and it, wondering whether those sorts of principles are just universal and you can sort of just take out the the bits that are directly relevant to all breweries and not necessarily worry about because even in the U.S. with a very state-based system of legislation, I'd imagine that there are vast differences from state to state, but it's the general principles that you're writing for.
1: It's general principles. The biggest change state to state is about taxes. It really is about taxes Um, and then also the distribution avenues. The book was written as an accounting 101 for early stage or small producers. Um, 70% of the Brewers Association membership is producers under 1,000 barrels a year, which is about 1,000 hectoliters a year. So we wanted to uh, write something that would resonate with that audience and be valuable to them. So um, it really is about less the details of state-to-state regulation or federal regulation and more about... Hey, here are the basics of what you need to know for your accounting. Um, And also another thing about it is I was interested to find a way to communicate these topics that can be complex. And, you know, so many people's eyes glaze over when you talk
0: accounting. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's just one of the biggest challenges that brewers have is, is engaging in the subject matter.
1: I wanted to find a way to talk to people who have different learning styles. So the first third of the book is a story. It's a narrative about a fictitious brewery. It tells its whole life cycle. You get to know the characters. And the theory, the accounting theory, is woven into the story. So that's the first third. And then the second two-thirds is more textbook style. So, you know, if someone has a learning style that just wants to hear a story and be introduced to the concepts that way, they can do that. Or they can jump to the meat and potatoes and... Do that?
0: Looking at the US, we've seen explosive growth. I think uh, it's gone from less than a thousand when I first started writing about beer to well over seven and a half thousand now, and I think there's still a thousand or more in in, in practice. In a rapidly growing market, um, you can make mistakes and not get found out quite easily. It's a little bit like the um, property market. When houses are going up, you can make a bad buy and you don't get found out because prices are going up. Are you starting to find in the US that brewers? need to focus on some of these things because they need they, they can't just rely on ever growing demand um taking care of their their business they actually need to look at some of the financial things in their business
1: That's absolutely the case like uh, 110% it's the case um and that was the whole impetus of the idea of this book is that you know even 5 years ago Pretty much anybody could start a brewery and do okay. You know, you really didn't have to know anything about business because there was just enough momentum in the market to carry you. But now the holes in the boat are starting to show and you really have to be sharp in your data. And that's you cannot compromise on having subpar data because, you know, you're going to be cutting with a butter knife when you need to cut with a scalpel. So it's really critical to implement this now more than ever.
0: Do you have any, you know, number one mistakes to avoid or, you know, top fo I, I hate listicles, but are, are there any key areas that brewers should really be focusing? Um-
1: I have four points that I think are really critical to drive home. Um, the first is to hire a management team around you as early as possible. Uh, so often people start a brewery and they have... You know, an artist's mentality, and they, uh, and or they, they have this mentality that one person does it all, and it's completely bootstrapped the whole way. But you get in that situation, and you're doing a hundred things, and none of them are done well. So, you know, choose to focus on what you're best at, and as soon as possible, surround yourself with other people who can look after the finances, who can look after the sales. And I I think it's important for founders to stay in touch with the creative direction of the liquid they're producing and also to stay highly in touch with the marketing of the company because that is so much the heart and soul and outward facing, you know, component of the brewery. So that needs to be well informed by the founder. But the other things that, you know, if you're managing a brew pub or a tap room or if the accounting and finance, for example, all of that is stuff that's easily outsourced to people who can do it better and faster and more efficient than you can. So number one, build a team as soon as you can. The second thing is to commit to good, clean data and to review it frequently and fast every every month. Um, so this is not an exciting, uh, exercise. You sit down with your financials and you go through line by line and review the performance. Ideally, you'll be looking at actual versus budget and understanding why you have variances. Um, so it's not exciting, but I guarantee if you do that, just even three months in a row, you're going to really illuminate some powerful information because the numbers hold critical data. The third thing is to focus on the health of your balance sheet. So many business owners spend time just thinking about the income statement and whether or not they made or lost money. And I think that's just natural. It's it's kind of, of all the financial statements, it's the one that maybe is most intuitive or resonates the easiest. But the balance sheet is critically important. It shows you the health of your core. And in today's market, you can't afford to be overextended. You need to have a healthy amount of working capital. You need to have your, your debt in check. And then the fourth thing is focus, especially in the early stage, focus on cash flow management as opposed to managing to net income. It's um, human nature, again, to look at a contract for raw materials and want to buy in bulk because you're gonna get a better price. Of course, that's human nature. But it can really put you in dire straits if it wraps up all your cash. So you need to manage the cash flow first, and then let net income be, you know, kind of a secondary metric. As the company matures, it'll shift more towards managing net income as opposed to cash flow. So those are kind of my four points.
0: And uh, <laughs> we're about to lose the room uh, to to another event, but. One last question. It's got absolutely nothing to do with anything uh, accounting, but it does have to do with Portland. At the end of the month, I'll be in uh, Portland, my very first visit. Where should I go?
1: Wow. Gosh, that is so loaded. That is such <laughs> a loaded question. Uh, okay. Ecliptic Brewing is, uh, is phenomenal. Um, it is owned and, and run by a very talented brewer, John Harris. Uh, so you should definitely check that out. Um, we have a plethora of great beer there. Bearlick is another really great small brewery. Um, Roo's Brewing is is a really interesting brewery. Uh, Cascade Barrel House is kind of you probably have heard of Cascade. Heard
0: of Cascade, yeah?
1: yeah. Um, so Cascade is kind of legendary in its own right. It deserves a visit. Rogue.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, Murray Perman, thank you very much for joining us. Now, this will probably be coming out around about the time your book comes out. Otherwise, we'll absolutely uh, put a link uh, to the book. And uh, thank you for joining us at Brewcon. And uh, thank you very much for your pearls of financial wisdom.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: And that was Maria Perman, and our coverage of BrewCon 19 was made possible by Bintani, who were not only providing brewers with the finest ingredients, they gave us the opportunity to bring you the finest guests live. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at